Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. How you like this Apple? Back in 1997, Microsoft had to bail out Apple, which was maybe within 60 days of a bankruptcy-like situation. So on the ropes was it. It needed Bill Gates out there to develop software continuously for the Mac. It needed a cash infusion. The poor company was worth just $3 billion. Fast forward now, 18 years later, Apple just announced an $18 billion profit. It's now worth just under $700 billion, i.e. two Microsofts. To give you some context, Apple's $178 billion cash hoard could buy Uber, Tesla, Twitter, Netflix, Dropbox, Snapchat, Airbnb, SpaceX, and still have $20 billion left to blow on dessert. I mean, how did this happen and how quickly the world has changed? Here's how Apple's $18 billion profit stacks up to other numbers around the world. It's on par with the GDP of Yemen, according to the World Bank. It's equal to the debt faced by the city of Detroit. Apple could fund the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's $4.34 billion annual budget four times over. And its quarter was bigger than the full-year profit of 373 companies listed on the S&P 500 index. Again, how you like that, Apple? To talk about this blowout quarter and the companies breaking the rule of large numbers, we're joined from L.A. by John Ehrlichman, correspondent for ABC News. Thank you for being with us. Thanks, Robin. And in studio, Craig Sheely, the accidental investment banker, our regular on the program, a former Microsoftie who's a current Apple fanboy. What do you have, 15 products in the house now? <laughs> Something like that. Hey, Robin, I just want to say I'm, I'm only here so the league won't find me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I, could, I couldn't resist. <laughs> All right. Uh, but thank you for having reference. me. Very good, very good. Uh, John, uh, I'm sure you've been following uh, that hashtag. What is it on Twitter? Like things that Apple Apple's cash could buy. <laughs> a lot of people yeah. love to throw these big GDP pronouncements around. Give us some context for how big this quarter was. Yeah. Thank you for making me feel so small in my daily life compared to Apple. Um, It is pretty incredible. Uh, You know, the the stats that I like to look at oftentimes are the ones just tied to how much product they sold. And um, the one that actually I thought got a a lot of traction on on Twitter was to say – Look at what happened in this three-month stretch. This is the you know the holiday quarter for Apple over the last few years of selling iPhones. And back in 2011, in this stretch, I think they sold something in the neighborhood of 16 million iPhones, huge number. And this quarter, it was nearly 75 million. And on some levels, we know that the smartphone market is huge, and there will be you know more than a billion devices sold globally this year. But Apple's ability to continue to sell and find new places to sell these devices is something I think that people who I I suppose aren't fanboys underestimated. Um, And as you listened to what the CEO of the company, Tim Cook, was saying yesterday in reaction to these numbers, he highlighted that a lot of this wasn't just people who stood in those lines the first day and did the upgrades. A lot of this is first time. Apple users, people who have switched over from using Android, the fact that Apple is pushing into new markets like China in a big way. They had a big deal that they announced around this time last year with China Mobile. So I think when when Wall Street reacts the way it does to something like this, and by the way, this was a quarter where there were some rumblings that they might have some supply chain issues and they still come out with, you know, selling 75 million iPhones. I think it 
reawakens the possibilities of how big this company could be despite its size currently. Yeah, Craig, how exactly does it move the needle on that? Because, again, if you just took out the iPhone business, which, which after all, uh, the inception of the iPhone was mid-2007, and yeah. now it's bigger than a, a, a huge roster of S&P companies. Yeah, I mean, the uh, just a couple other fun facts that I like uh, to throw out there. Um, their cash balance uh, would even adjusted for inflation would have funded the entire Apollo program. Uh, that's so that's nice. And the other one that it's I think is pretty impressive to uh, uh, to John's point about the um, about the the rate of devices. I mean, thirty four thousand thirty four thousand iPhones sold per hour in the quarter. Um, so I mean that's more. Uh, iPhones per hour than I think what Amazon sold Fire Phones, you know, to date or something like that. Um, so you know, you look at that and you look at their ability. I mean, their their growth in China over a hundred percent year over year. Um, and so you know, their ability, I think, to you know, to be the premium brand. You know, I think it's interesting. You know, people, um, the whole world seems to be kind of moving in a, in a direction. You know, if you think about our generation and certainly the generations prior to us, you know, people dreamt of their homes and their and their cars, uh, and that's where they sort of you know put their dream money. Some so one of those two buckets. But now it seems like people are putting their their aspirational dollars into uh, Apple devices. How we've been laid so low, man. Used to be a chicken in every pot and a Chevy in every yeah, garage. Yeah, exactly. Now it's an Apple Watch on every wrist. It's like I want to get that 55 Chevy Bel Air, right? But now it's like, oh, who, who cares about that? I want my Apple Watch. I want my, you know, my iPhone 6 Plus, right? I mean, I, those are those John, are more important. Well, John Ehrlichman, let me ask you, where were you when you handled the first iPhone, presumably in 2007? Times Square. Um, I was working for a, a Canadian outlet called Business News. Now you Network. are you are Canadian proper, is that correct? Yeah, is that going to influence my? Well, no, it is because my, my comments I, I know on I read this irresistible <laughs> anecdote. I, re, I read this irresistible anecdote, an investigation kind of in the into the implosion of the national champion up there, <clears throat> Research in Motion, now BlackBerry Corp. Uh, you know, which yes. was sitting on top of the world with the BlackBerry Pearl and the BlackBerry Bold in 2007. And then when these guys, <laughs> there was just this one anecdote in there when they saw the first iPhone, and how it went from kind of curiosity to terror, like. Holy crap, the bastard mm -hmm. Steve Jobs crammed the, an iMac into yeah, this little yeah. thing. How could he take for granted the wireless well, network, the 2G thing? And then they realized how behind they were. Yeah. I just want to get your idea as a, as a bona fide Canadian. How blindsided were <laughs> <are> you? Well, <laughs> so, uh, you know, a, a, a couple of things. First of all, I, I, re, I do remember that day in 2007. And, you know, there wasn't, I was, because I was stationed in Times Square. The only place where I could go to try to see what the buzz was like was an AT&T retail location across the street. And it was busy. But I don't think because none of us had had that iPhone experience yet, we didn't quite know. And I think that's always been true with any of these big product releases. You don't really know until you're a few weeks, a few months into it, okay, there's something really cooking here. And I felt the same way ahead of the iPad launch. Um, do we really know if this is something that's good and beneficial for us to have? And certainly it turned out to be the case. But to your point about research in motion, um, I remember an editorial meeting they had at our former employer, Robin, um, where the two, or at least the CEO at the time, 
came into a group of journalists to talk about the business. And it was, I think it was shortly before one of their product launches, but it was uh, late enough in the game that the iPhone had gained traction, early enough in the game that it was still a very relevant BlackBerry research in motion was still a very relevant part of the conversation. And he pulled up this chart and put it in front of everybody. And he showed the growth of BlackBerry in emerging markets, uh, markets outside the U.S., and expressed a, a level of frustration, quite frankly, at the fact that BlackBerry sales around the world were climbing. And look at all these markets where we're generating growth, and yet everybody wants to talk about Apple and the iPhone. So even then, it really wasn't about the acknowledgement of a product that just seems a lot more powerful, seems a lot cooler, the product that's slowly but surely infiltrating our workforce. It was just a, a frustration at the fact that BlackBerry had had the lead and they were climbing into these new markets. Didn't mention the fact that the BlackBerry sales in those new markets oftentimes were for a much lower price per device. And in some cases, mm -hmm. as we saw in the evolution of BlackBerry, we're, we're just giving away the devices. Mm -hmm. Here's Apple holding strong. I've never remembered Apple having a true sale on its devices sure. in any market. So that was that that to me, I still think back to that moment of a company that just I don't know if it was hubris. I don't know what it was, but they were kind of stuck in their charts mm -hmm. and not really getting inside the minds of consumers. And, and as the you know, on the subject of yeah. hubris, I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, you know, insult the dead. Rest in peace, Steve Jobs. But I remember when he. I was at Business Week at the time, and he came to our uh, newsroom in Rockefeller Center, and we had a uh, an exquisite editorial lunch for him up on the you know the fiftieth floor overlooking Midtown Manhattan. And he's there in his, uh, you know, black black turtleneck and everything. And I remember he specifically went to Business Week last when he was making the rounds because he had a he had a problem with one of our editors. He thought that his uh, mugshot was uh, mocking Steve Jobs because he put on this this exquisite salt and pepper beard and he wore a black turtleneck. And so this is the kind of grudges he carried. And he goes walking into our place for like. You know, the iPod guy is thinking he's going to sell a phone to the entire world. Like, you know, the, the chutzpah to think that AT&T's uh, network is going to be able to carry this data load. And it just blows my mind kind of thinking back to that now, a little less than eight years later, that uh, it was successful and then some. Uh, mm -hmm. he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't hesitate and think that, you know what, uh, the 2G, 3G world is not ready for this kind of stuff. We're going to have bandwidth hogs. We're going to have issues if we go exclusive. We're going to have subsidy problems. Um, it was very much kind of put that out first and ask questions later. And here we are, Craig. I, I looked at the numbers. 34,000 iPhones sold per hour, 24 yeah. hours a day, every day of the quarter. So the, the, the 75 million iPhones sold in the latest quarter yeah. are a record, and that's 46% higher than the previous quarterly record. Yeah. Yeah, it's really amazing that these new form factors that have come out with the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, I mean, there was clearly a tremendous pent-up demand for that, right? Um, you know, you you have uh, obviously Samsung and others. No, but really, what was the marginal improvement? I still have a 5S, other than the fact that I get to pay with my thumbprint on a six like for the privilege of connecting it's, my credit card to it what's the bigger deal no it's the it's the larger screen frankly i mean there was a lot of people in the world that wanted a larger screen um and and i think um 
you know that that pent up demand is what is what came through, and people were going to these other devices because they wanted this phablet type form factor. That's combination phone and tablet. yeah, the combination phone and tablet, and and that that form factor. Um, you know, people were trying other devices, and I mean, and then now and now that Apple had one available, they of course went back to that. And I think there was a lot of there was a lot of people who were. Seeking that device, in particular in some of the Asian markets, I think we, we, they don't report, um, or Apple at least doesn't report the details of what their product split is between the you know the 5s, the 5c, the 6, and the 6 plus. But you know, um, various other people track or attempt to track this, and it does look like the split with the 6 plus is very high in uh, throughout throughout Asia, um, uh, you know, Japan. China, Southeast Asia, um, and and, then, the, and the knock on these guys a couple of years ago, after Steve Jobs passed away, and people worried about Tim Cook and really Samsung and the other yeah. players would get the low end of the smartphone market, um, that they've really been able to sell some of their premium phones into places like China. First, yeah. the Gold Edition Five, right, yeah. which sold out, and now people that are willing to pay uh, quite a pretty yuan for the six yeah. and six plus. Yeah. No, it, it's clearly an aspirational. It's an aspirational purchase um, across the board, and and it, and it has become so, not just in the U.S. but obviously in China as well. I mean, again, hundred percent year over year growth. I mean, that's pretty unprecedented. I mean, I think, um, you know, it, one of the things you going back to what you were talking about a minute ago with partnering with AT and T. I just wanted to make a point. I mean, they. One of the reasons why I was late, the first uh, iPhone I ever got was an iPhone 4. I, I was a couple generations in, you know, several generations of the phone in before I actually bought one. I had a BlackBerry up until then. And um, the reason why I was slow to get it is is because of, you know, it was, it was very slow on some of these other networks. Um, and one of the things they did, I think, well, at least in the U.S. market, by only working with AT&T, it's very hard to work with carriers, um, and you know one of the things they did is they basically said, "Hey, we're going to focus our energy on getting it right uh, with AT and T, and then go from there." And I think, but it was a dangerous thing by the beginning it was. Of, of 2010. You remember John in New York City and San Fran, people were complaining the iHogs were binging on bandwidth. Yeah, AT and T was dragging its feet on on signing up people. Uh, you know this could have this could have really blown up in their face, John. Yeah, and. There always seemed to be that plan to make sure that they were cutting deals with as many carriers as possible to get this device into as many hands as possible. And, you know, I guess if we're talking about the U.S. market, the fact that you have uh, very aggressive carriers these days like Mm T-Mobile, it keeps AT&T on its toes. And maybe that helps on some levels. I mean, they don't break down how how many devices are sold or new devices are sold through the carriers, but... Um, you know, the one stat, just going back to China for a second, that um, I thought was interesting. I had looked back at what China – when China Mobile, the largest carrier in China, uh, cut a deal with Apple finally at the mm-hmm. beginning of last year to start selling iPhones. I think the number of subscribers that China Mobile talked about was something like 760,000. And uh, by October, I think that was the last time they had provided an, an update, it was up to it was up at least 30 or 40,000 subscribers. Um, and so, you know, the the ability, you know, you talk about Tim Cook. Tim Cook always was sort of positioned as the logistics guy. And I think we kind of got sidelined for a couple of years with what's the next magic trick Apple's going to show us. We're still 
debating a little bit ahead of this launch of the the watch constant questions about their future in tv and so you almost started to um, minimize the impact of let's say you know continued growth in the iphone despite the fact that we're doing so much more on our phones today than we mm-hmm. were in 2011 and 2007. The fact that it has become a more important device to us, to Craig's point, means that if you can do a lot more cool stuff on it, then you could be, you know, interested in getting one. And the other thing I would just – I mean, there's so many ways that we can cut the stats, but I – Tim Cook tried to stress yesterday that the the – a good chunk, careful with this words, but a good chunk of the sales of iPhones in this latest quarter wasn't just people who were upgrading from an iPhone, whatever. Um, it was the ability to win over Android customers, to mm-hmm. Craig's earlier point. I mean, I anecdotally will hear sometimes people who make the switch over to Android devices, and Android's a very powerful force. Uh, but more oftentimes than not, you hear about someone who, you know, was trying out the Android universe, got frustrated and came back. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people will get frustrated with Apple in the same way that they get frustrated with any device. But I think that they've they've benefited from the strategy up until now. Yeah. Well, one thing I'd just jump in on that point. I mean, what what I see happening in the mobile, and you can see it play out in the stats in terms of the amount of uh, commerce and the amount of actual usage, in particular, yeah. sort of internet-driven usage. You know, it's like 70, 80 percent is on iPhone, not on Android. Even though Android has right. higher higher market share, what I see happening is the Android phones are essentially becoming today's sort of feature basic phones of yesterday. Even though they're in theory capable of doing you know a lot more, arguably maybe even as much or more than the iPhone. What you're seeing people doing is like, oh, well, I, I just want a cheap phone, so I'm going to buy the Android phone to start off with, and then later, um, you know, later we'll we'll upgrade them to the to the iPhone. It's sort of like, you know, the the um, you know the iPhone is what people say, even though it's sort of like in the, you know the old days where I'm going to buy a Coke. Well, you might have actually gone to buy a a Sprite or. Or, or whatever, but it's it's that sort of the the device, like with kids, for example. Um, the other the other point I just made, you mentioned Tim Cook. I mean, talk about stats. I mean, you know what what was the report a few days ago? Uh, Tim Cook made something like nine point two million dollars last year. I mean, that to me is like got to be one of the best bargains on the planet for a CEO, right? I mean, think about the 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 type of earnings and revenue this guy is overseeing, and he made nine point two million in cash. I mean, that that's He's, like he is worth a ton of stock in fairness. Yeah. Yeah, and Apple sure. has always had this kind of this BS uh, self-effacement idea. We don't care about the stock, right? John, I mean, you encountered that with them. They, it's always mm. kind of the noble thing to do in Silicon Valley. It's like, you know, you execute first. This is a group run by its designers and engineers. And, you know, Wall Street, let them follow if they want. I mean, after well, all, Apple is the largest company in the world, and it isn't even in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. This is a constant bone I like to pick. Like, we've deprived Americans of an important data point of uh, – in, in investor enthusiasm that maybe the Dow Jones Industrial Average would be above twenty thousand already if its keepers had put in an Apple instead of a you know a Cisco or a Microsoft. Yeah. Right. It's amazing. Yeah, that's a great yeah, point. Yeah, it, it's a great point. Um, you know, I think that does open the door for a quick conversation on Tim Cook versus Steve Jobs. Um, you know, Tim Cook is the guy who, even when Steve was still getting everybody into into fighting shit for you know, the 
secondary launches and new launches of products was the guy who had had really stepped in to be the Wall Street guy. Um, you know, in his in his early stints as interim CEO, was on the conference calls and and really never stepped away from that. And you know, Tim Cook comes across as a consensus guy, uh, a guy who cares about that kind of stuff. And so you, you started to see a slightly different tone, I think, from the company overall, even though it was still Apple and this is how we do business and this is how we price products. And, you know, we're not going to jump into the same kind of co- competition with other players out there. You know, Tim Cook shares a lot of stats on conference calls. He generally doesn't get angry uh, at you, you don't know, want to see me when I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I, I say that stuff because I think he's trying to please the crowd. Uh, you know, early in his tenure as CEO, you got the sense that there was a lot of different stuff that Apple could potentially do and that they're always doing. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a time behind closed doors, like maybe they were venturing into too much stuff. And maybe the company was starting to get overwhelmed by that. Um, it feels like now they've gotten into a better rhythm. They've made a few, more than a few senior management changes and kind of just gone back to riding this wave of the fact that they've got these premium devices. It's good timing for them in the sense that we're all doing more on mobile devices. Keep pushing ahead with the iPhone. Keep pushing ahead with the iPad. Play up the possibilities of this iWatch or Apple Watch, which and, and I and I would say I would say John that they're confident enough to bring back the Apple Newton by the fall. <laughs> Hold that thought. <laughs> we'll be, we'll be right back. Watch. Full disclosure: we're geeking out on all things Apple today. Full disclosure, all things Apple today after its historic uh, blowout quarter uh, with the release of the iPhone 6 and 6S and all sorts of anticipation uh, around this newfangled Apple Watch. Uh, John Ehrlichman uh, in Los Angeles, uh, there is a, a, a there's an argument here that this kind of cuts both ways. Apple is obviously crushing it when it comes to to selling iPhones, but that now represents a staggering seventy percent of of the company's sales. Um, talk about putting most of your eggs in one basket. I mean, form factors come and form factors go. Who's to say that the iPhone won't end up the next Motorola Razor or BlackBerry Bolt? Yeah, listen, the the phone business has always been an incredibly difficult one. Um, Winners at one time aren't always still alive at another time, to your point. Um, I would say that the numbers overall for smartphone demand globally still fall into Apple's favor um, when this is expected to be a year where there are more than a billion devices sold around the world. Now, that opens a huge door for um, some really smart, innovative, younger Smartphone makers, Xiaomi in China is a great example of that, Um, really making some cool products at low prices that have um, massive um, brand 
building uh, power in that market. But you know, I think if I, you know, as I listened to Tim Cook speak yesterday, I think he really tried to lay the groundwork for a company that is going to continue to make efforts to maximize potential iPhone sales without compromising on the things that Apple doesn't want to compromise on, i.e., price. Um, or stylus. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That's debatable. Craig, I mean, if you, if you look into your crystal ball, mm-hmm. what, you know, we go back 10 years, what were you doing in 2005? Uh, what was I doing? Where were you? Yeah, where was I? In 2005, I was working for uh, Nextel, actually. Nextel. What kind of phone did you have, roughly? I had a, I carried around actually two phones. I had. One of the next, the small uh, sort of razor esque. Um, it was a Motorola, of course, uh, flip phone, and then I also had the um, push to talk enabled BlackBerry. Push to talk enabled BlackBerry, which both. was cutting edge yeah. for its time. But could you ever look into your crystal balls ten years hence and say, I'd have this thing that would let me uh, connect, you know, FaceTime with other people, see my kids at home when yeah. I'm in Venezuela, or. Uh, other things to do with it. Did did you anticipate that? Did you think that the network would be robust enough? And two, if you had to look into your crystal ball five, you know, T plus five mm-hmm. from now or T plus ten from now, what could you possibly innovate on top of the current iPhone? Well, I, is it going to brush your teeth? Right. Is it going to trim your no. nose hairs? I I think it's a. Uh, I mean, I think the 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 word form factor, you know, that you that that term that you used before is the right way to think about it. How is the form factor going to morph? Um, and, and, and then, you Form know. factor is such Silicon Valley PR boilerplate oh, stuff. You're telling me the actual, well, but I'm you know, talking, we were holding a flip, a clamshell phone and now so, it's a, it's a brick yeah. and what, what do you. So as I, I mean, so as I look forward, I mean, I guess, let me, let me answer, you have two couple questions in there. One is. I got 80 questions. You got 80. Yeah. In 2005, <laughs> what, what would I, I really, I, you know, having worked at a wireless carrier, having worked at Microsoft and actually done a lot of work on our mobile device strategy and and some of our internet strategies. I, I was fairly skeptical of the iPhone at first, and the biggest reason was bandwidth, because I really did not think um, we were really going to see uh, the availability of, of, you know, broadly available wireless uh, broadband connections. I mean, today I can do, you know, as much or more on LTE as I could do, you know, on on a, on a, a T1 or E1 equivalent back, you know, in, in turn of the century time frame. Um, and so that, I was a little skeptical of that. I was not quite sure that we were going to be able technically to be able to deliver that. Now, obviously that's happened. And I think that has been, you know, aside from Apple, that's been a huge game changer. I mean, one of the reasons I didn't personally buy an iPhone until the iPhone 4 was because the internet experience was so poor. Um, as I look forward, you know, when I talk about form factor, what I'm thinking about is, is frankly, wearables. I know that's like a big hot, you know, it's another sort of Silicon Valley buzzword, blah, blah, blah. But, it, it the, you know, it, the people have already said that, you know, one of Apple's thoughts with the Apple Watch is that ultimately the iPhone may become the Apple Watch, right? So you may, you know, that in one way or another. Well, Tim Cook says he doesn't go anywhere without his. He's really come to depend on it. Can't live without it, I think was the, was his quote yesterday. But, um, I mean, I, I, that that could be the case. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, I also, I actually think, you know, one of the areas where, where I, I'm personally a little bit critical of Apple is I think they have, 
Well, we don't know what they're working on, but they have at least publicly uh, poo-pooed the uh, notion of of any sort of glass-type wearable. I mean, right, you know, the Google Glass, they sort of made fun of Google Glass. Uh, Microsoft just talked about their HoloLens product. Yeah, I mean, um, what's what's up with that? Last week, Microsoft is getting all these huzzas for this yeah. this headset. You know, this uh, this what 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 is it called? HoloLens. HoloLens, and yeah. it gets a great wired uh, right up and wired, yeah. and and some finally some breathlessness for this company that really peaked in '99 and 2000. Right. Yet Microsoft posts earnings and the stock falls eight percent, well, just as Apple blows out the quarter. And it yeah. brings to mind, you know, I, I want to ask you. This was really a slow motion train wreck for Microsoft. How? Yeah, oh, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to harp on it, but they completely whiffed on uh, these things that Steve Jobs came in and pounced on. Right? Yeah, they yeah. completely whiffed on the smartphone. Yeah. They completely whiffed on the tablet. They come out yep. with finally the Surface Three. Surface well, Pro is getting traction, but five years after well, all that, all the first that, look, iPad I, comes I, out. I, I start. I joined Microsoft in uh, the spring of two thousand one. And I had a Microsoft smartphone. Um, it was one of the first things I got when I when I joined the company. And it, you know, in many respects, it could do I don't know some I don't know sixty, seventy, maybe eighty percent of what I can do at least with the basic iPhone. Not not including what I can do with apps now because the app ecosystem is a whole you know world in and of itself. What was that an HP phone like the CE? Oh, uh, I had I actually had a Motorola. You know, there was a Motorola flip phone that was a smartphone. I had one of those, oh. and I had um, also had one of that that Compaq. Of the course, compact phone. I yeah, the con- you remember that sort of Windows CE. Yeah, Windows CE. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, that that um, you know, it, Microsoft had a lot of the basic capabilities. I mean, it could do that. I mean, I, I had a tablet. I had a tablet PC. Um, and what was it? I guess I got that in 2002, maybe something like that. We, you know, um, maybe I think Toshiba. And uh, you know it could do a ton of the stuff, and and arguably even more than than what an iPad could do. At least again natively, not not including what what apps enable it to do. But I think the problem that Microsoft had is Microsoft um, stayed true to this notion of we're a software company, we're a software company, we're a software company, and they did not realize that these devices, um, the mobile devices, the tablets, and the you have to own the entire you experience. Got, yeah, you have to own the experience. You just you can't just providing the software layer is just not enough. So you know the user interface. The um and and the and the hardware experience you can't divorce those things apart from one another. I know that's been talked about a well, lot. Yeah, but, but you know, the, and true. and then John, I mean that that by extension caused them to put the squeeze to the Dells and HPs and yeah. um, Lenovo's of the world. That if they're really keeping all the margin for themselves in software, then it was a race to the bottom on the hardware front, and it started really ticking people off. Especially, you know, I had my tipping point. When our magazine was acquired by Bloomberg in uh, 2010, we were given brand new iMacs, and this coincided with the birth of my son. And to see the pictures and videos on the iMac really blew me away. Next thing I know, I'm buying an iPod Touch. Next thing I know, it's an iPhone. It's a MacBook. And suddenly, you know, five years later, I have eight eight different Mac products in the house. Uh, John, and it's really that yeah. ecosystem that these – I want to get to the ecosystem. It, it builds this mm-hmm. almost maybe an inoculation against commoditization that I now – I'm so invested in the Apple product uh, that it's it kind of feels uh, – you feel weird if you step outside of that comfort zone. You can't yeah. FaceTime with the grandparents anymore that – the more you know, the <laughs> yeah. network affects of it. The Absolutely. more people add on to this, the harder it is to kind of opt out. It's just – it's very tough to do. I mean, to to all the points you guys just made, for Apple to try and um, set that kind of framework as they entered 
you know, a new category in, mm-hmm. in the mobile devices, um, given the way most of the industry had been set up in part because of the likes of Microsoft. Um, Apple was in some ways a unique story. Um, you saw Google incredibly impressed by what Apple was doing and then building its own uh, empire. But doing something like that, a world where hardware and, and software are coming out of the same shop, very difficult to do. And then for Microsoft in recent years, trying to put all that together, um, mm-hmm. I think has had belatedly, mixed, belatedly yeah, with huge yeah. management turmoil. And you know, the other thing I'd mention, just as somebody based in LA, one of the areas that I spend a large chunk of my time reporting on is this intersection of media and tech and entertainment. And you know, why does Apple keep selling these devices? They're very good devices for consuming content, whether that's games, whether that's Netflix, whether that's whatever. Um, and Microsoft through Xbox um, spent an enormous amount of money here in Hollywood uh, to develop original programming for Xbox. Mm -hmm. And the theory was, look at all the Xbox devices that are in homes around the world. In some ways, what Bill Gates first set out to do in having more of a presence in the living room, he was able to achieve with the Xbox, arguably more than, say, a company like Apple, which, you know, they've got Apple TV boxes, but I don't know that anyone has won the living room just yet. So they invest all this money to create original programming that they can offer exclusively to Xbox users. And right before they're really about to launch, they've got the programs ready. I got a firsthand look at some of the, the, the really cool stuff they were working on here. They pull the plug because there's a change in, in leadership at the top, and they go back to that traditional thinking on enterprise, on, on enterprise software. That's our bread and butter. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, what was the storyline around Amazon? They win some Golden Globes. They launch into movies. They're working with Woody Allen. There's an incredible brand value that comes for a company like Amazon that does a lot of stuff mm-hmm. by acknowledging the fact that content consumption is a huge part of their story, even if it's a, a, a much different company than Microsoft. And so I think that goes back to, you know, how long is Tim Cook going to be at the helm of Apple? Well, when you have changes in leadership, and it happens all the time in corporate America, all of a sudden you can get away from what is it exactly that we're trying to do? And you know, in the fast-changing world of tech, it can have dramatic implications. Do you both have Apple TV at home? I have two of them. You have two? Uh, John? I use Apple TV and I use a Roku device. Now, home. it's interesting in that you don't really get the sense that Apple's out there pushing Apple TV. A lot of people wouldn't know what it is. Uh, there are those that you poll on the street or other journalists who think that Apple has to come out with a an actual competitor product to Samsung, a, a, a fully integrated TV for the living room. But there's just this, you know, cigar box or, or, or cigarette pack size box that mm-hmm. connects you to things that they kind of happen to bring up parenthetically in their yeah. earnings releases. When are they finally going to go whole hog on the living room, Craig? I, I don't know. I, I think I, I think they've they've um, personally I think they've missed some opportunities there. Um, and now, I mean, obviously, they're a lot smarter than I am, and 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 I'm sure they have a plan for it. But it certainly feels like they have had an opportunity, um, even just to do modest updates on the Apple TV. That that thing's still running an A5 processor. Yo which, yo 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 yo! Come on, jargon. 
Sorry. I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's running an old processor. 1.21 gigawatts. Gigawatts. Doc, yeah. doc. <laughs> I mean, it's got a hoverboard. No, um, it, the, <laughs> the, uh, it, it's, it's, um, it, you know, it's, it's running old hardware. The software, they've been, you know, slow to update the software. They have no app store, um, for it and and uh, you know i mean it's john it's, were you just downloading something on apple incidentally I, <laughs> enough with the subliminal messages yeah, here. <laughs> yeah but but I, th- I think look i think apple tv they could have they could they, they could be doing just some basic updates and they'd be selling more of them number one i think number two um they're gonna have a big cho- choice on their hands because i mean the whole next generation of tvs is 4k and the 4k and 5k tvs and and you know whatever whatever else comes beyond on that there's so much processing power that you've got to put in the TV just to deliver that kind of um, image that you know you have enough you know putting a little operating system in there that serves up content and you know allows different UI experiences user interface yeah is is um, is I'm just get a gong for this show every time you <laughs> so, yeah, sorry it's been too many years um, but the you know the 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 uh, it, it's you know you kind of feel like they're going to have to either go big or go home. Now, the other wild card in the Apple TV mix is the HomeKit. Um, HomeKit's a big, uh, big thing that they they came out with earlier in the year. Um, this idea that they've built these standards where you can control your home. Now, they're not really doing a lot of the hardware. They're out working with third parties trying to get people to build hardware on that standard. The the talk has been that. Um, the Apple TV can be the hub of that. You know, for example, yesterday we get a quick snowstorm here. My car is covered in snow. I'm going to go out and dust it before I go out on the road, but I'd like to turn it on remotely and have it heated and, you know, do the things that I I should be able, in the grand scheme of, you know, the the great hyped-up Internet of things, I should be able to do that soon with my iPhone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, there are ways to do that even now. I mean, but, yeah, it's not as easy... They're trying to make it easy. I think it's hard for them because, to me, it seems sort of counter-Apple uh, strategy to go, try to go out and create this really um, somewhat, uh, you know, somewhat um, diverse ecosystem around a standard. And, and you, you talk know? about diverse, John Ehrlichman. For better or for worse, now this is this is iPhone Corp. I mean, the thing that's moving yeah. the needle is the sales of something that didn't even exist six years ago. So to what extent you as a as a someone who's covered the company for several years do you think that they they have to kind of you know parlay obviously the huge amounts of cash that they're throwing off from this into some other line of business that doesn't correlate with this or that is hugely complementary obviously people in the past did not associate Apple computer with music but then it came to own the the MP3 and iTunes mm-hmm. and it came out of left field uh, yeah. This is both an enviable position to be in in the biggest company in the world and also a scary position if you look at GE, Exxon, Microsoft, Cisco, and how sure. all the, the the entire club of the group that never made it to a trillion. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of stuff there. I, I, look, I, I think that the easiest thing for them to do, and they've done it a couple of times now, when the when the explosion of cash is just getting so outrageous that they, they have to do something, that they'll just do those you know boring – to us tech journalists, fund to investors, um, shareholder-friendly moves, like give them back some of the money. Um, that's an easier thing for them to do than to say, well, we have all this money, we should do this. Um, you know, I, I, you know, on a couple of fronts. I mean, first of all, with the television, and, and to your point, 
it is iPhone Corp because they sold 75 million iPhones in the most recent quarter. And Tim Cook announced yesterday that in the entire existence of this little Apple TV box, they've sold more than 25 million. It's a big number for a product that isn't heavily marketed, right. but certainly that gives you some context on it. But to go out and build the you know TV of the future, the centerpiece of the living room, I think the trends are not working in Apple's favor on that. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, the living room is still a focal point for many families. However, um, you're able to get there through a, a variety of different means. Um, and, and certainly in our home, we do it through people using tablets, somebody using a smart TV, using a smartphone, all at the same time. We're watching way more screens John, than we should John, may I ask be. you, are you a parent? Of two little girls, yes. And do you, um, you know, and, and quickly to close out this segment, do you do you watch Degrassi Junior High reruns with them on <laughs> Apple TV? How about you can't do that on television? When Netflix starts uh, acquiring more Canadian content for consumption in the U.S., I will definitely watch that. All Instead, right. we watch a lot of Disney stuff. Hold that thought. Full disclosure. Geeking out on Apple. Stay with us. Full disclosure, all things Apple today in the company's monster blowout quarter and the uh, opportunity and the predicament of having all this cash and so much of a dependency on the iPhone. John Ehrlichman, uh, talk to us about Apple Pay. Uh, I hate receipts. I hate the multi-homing dilemma of having to have several credit cards in my wallet and stuffing it uh, like George Costanza. I like this idea of of going around the places and uh, you know having a secure thumbprint, fingerprint way of paying for things, uh, not having to carry a wallet or all these cards. How, if at all, is this going to move the needle for Apple? Certainly the, the, the traction, the record is not there yet. It's only been out for a couple of months, but where do you see it going? Uh, you know, Apple Pay is one of the most exciting things I think Apple has going on. Now, mm-hmm. when it comes to you know the revenue that's generated or whatever compared to what they've already been able to make, I, I have no idea on that front. But you know, if if we're going to be watching two interesting storylines over the next six months at Apple, and those are you know if we were to pick Apple Watch and Apple Pay, I think most people would say Apple Watch, of course. Um, Sometimes it's hard for me to get my my head around these new devices until they've truly been out there in the marketplace for a period of time and we see what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, we work. didn't realize we didn't realize we needed an iPad. I mean, certainly right. something without yeah. an uh, without a stylus until everybody carried one on the commuter it, train. It, exactly. And I think what we have seen specifically with Apple Pay is that after being in the marketplace for a few months, it is impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's most impressive about it and I think smart on Apple's part is to make a service slash product um, available that the banks love. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the banks are constantly frustrated by fraud. Um, here's a device that allows Apple to help them essentially keep more of the money that they pull in um, and also sets up for really interesting um, storyline around commerce. I mean, since when was helping the banks a customer-friendly <laughs> move? I mean, after all, no, people are disproportionately disillusioned with the big banks and the, the credit sure. card companies. And Apple, Craig Sheely, has made a history of cutting out 
the hated middleman, be it the yeah. the seventeen dollars CD or the book publishers who are asking you twenty five dollars for a hardcover. Yeah. Um, why why can't they just cut out the banks and make it a node to node thing? If I go to a restaurant, chances are the person would have an iPhone or an iPad. Why can't Apple just completely cover that transaction? Well, I I, I mean I think we're just in the first inning um, here. I mean maybe you know maybe not even haven't maybe not even gotten the first out yet. So, um, so I think, I think, I think a couple things. One, I don't think it's any accident that the, uh, Apple watch pulls Apple pay all the way back to the iPhone five. I don't know if you missed, remember that little, I did not catch that. Yeah. So, so that retroactively yeah, lets me with so, my, with my belated, you know, iPhone five S participate yeah, in Apple. Even, pay. Yeah. All the way back to a five. So five, five S five C, um, all those. And, um, so, so it pulls the, the capabilities of Apple pay all the way back to that, um, you know, to the, it basically sort of backward integrates um, to allow you to do Apple Pay. The other thing about the Apple Watch, uh, I mean, people have proven that they can hack these finger sensors, essentially, um, you know, with a copy of your thumbprint and so forth. Uh, however, if, you, if you're wearing an Apple Watch, then you also have the ability to verify with a heartbeat. So What? Uh, Yes. Now, I, people aren't really talking about this yet. I don't think there's necessarily been any um, apps out yet. But I mean, that that device is capable. Those those sensors are capable of, of actually of actually picking up your heartbeat and your pulse rate, right? So, and your your heart your heart rate your heartbeat is just like your thumbprint. It's a uh, it's unique to you. The way it would show up on that uh, on that sensor. So. Where's the margin here, Craig? I mean, what are they making right now? Just being a facilitator for credit card companies? They're making 0.15% on every transaction, okay? And two out of every three transactions since Apple Pay uh, came out, two out of every three transactions, which are contactless payments, have uh, have been on Apple Pay. So, okay, what is the yeah. opportunity? So 0.10%? Yeah, 0.15%. 0.15%. Like the credit card company, if you bring I mean, like a merchant in here, well, we brought merchants in here before. They're complaining about being charged, you know, two percentage points or a big yeah. scrape off the transaction. My question, John, is why can't they come in here? Is it is it something that they don't want to take on the balance sheet risk of 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 owning the transaction? If it's Apple to Apple, you don't have to worry about partnering with a, a, a MasterCard or an American Express or a Visa. You can come into the merchant and say, look, we will uh, facilitate the transaction and you give us a fraction of what you're paying the plastic companies. Well, look, again, you know, I think some of this comes down to communication and branding. And I don't think Apple ever uh, saw itself as a bank. And if you look mm-hmm. at the, the Well, marketing... it has $180 billion now. <laughs> fair right? point. Like it or Fair not, point, Robin. It's, it's, if point. it's not a bank, then it's a glorified money market fund, right? <laughs> they're, they're too um, big to fail. But uh, no, look, look at think about the marketing surrounding Apple Pay and the amount. That's why I go back to the banks. I mean, when you've got Chase... Wells Fargo, whomever, who have been willing to really get the word out with you over these last few months, it's it's pretty powerful. Um, and and at the end of the day, this is in a lot of ways an Apple ver- yet another Apple versus Google battle. Um, you know, Google Wallet, I would say, has been something that's been toyed around with for a longer period of time, and yet the traction I think we know less about, whereas Apple Pay, we're already talking about a lot of these anecdotal stories uh, that would indicate some early success. Mm-hmm. It's important in this sort of next round of battle battling between these big tech companies of the stuff you're able to do with your phone, uh, that Apple is successful on that front. And so I think just to be in this market and not 
describe yourself as a bank, but well position yourself versus the Googles of the world, that's a good proposition does it give, for them. Does it give him, John, a Trojan horse strategy? Like, obviously, yes. the Apple Newton was a failure, and the late Steve Jobs said, you cannot even mention the Newton on this campus. It's being used as doorstops and, and still litters eBay. Uh, but the, the fact that they came in, and you first had a very crude iPod, and there was MP3 functionality, and soon a calendar, and soon you could see pictures on it, and the next thing you know is the iPhone and then some, and your entire life is on it, and it's the Apple Newton times 50. Uh, can they do the same thing with payments? Is it kind of a you know foot-in-the-door yeah. Trojan horse? Well, I'm, I'm going to let Craig answer because it sounds like he's, he's, he's ready with a good answer. But the only thing I will say is that the, 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 the world changes so quickly that we can't give a thumbs up to everything Apple does. And I think about their iTunes radio service, which mm -hmm. launched, I think, last year uh, and was a way to stay relevant versus the, let's say, the Spotify's of the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in terms of what's on your phone, we don't necessarily need to keep the music there anymore. iTunes was a dramatic, you know, an incredible success. iTunes is a buzzkill now, man. Now, now you just want you just want to stream the music, yeah. and Apple does not share any numbers on what's happening with iTunes Radio. But in you know in the small circles, a lot of people say, eh. Maybe it hasn't had the traction they hoped for, and certainly they were hoping it would be the key to people continuing to purchase music through iTunes. So it, none of this is an easy game for anyone, which is why you always have to give kudos to the players who can find ways to make it work. Well, I, yeah, I, I want to I, – I, I mean, I do agree. First of all, I think iTunes Radio is a bit of a – you know, it's it's not been able to deliver on uh, on what Spotify and, and some others even have. But but going back to Apple Pay, because I, I, I want to just sort of pr paint this picture for you guys. And, and, yeah, I mean, yes, I am now kind of a fanboy, so, you know, put that important grain of salt in there. However, think about all of the pieces. You talk about a Trojan horse. I mean, it could be – a herd of horses out there, and here are the here are the here are the horses I see. One, um, you know, you've got you know, huge success app with the with obviously the six and six plus phones, which are which are uh, Apple Pay enabled. Two, um, you know, the new iPads are now also Apple Pay enabled and also touch enabled, and iPads can be a uh, payment terminal. Um, I mean, we've already seen that with Swipe, but they're going to, you know, with Apple Pay on both ends, they could be, you know, without having the Swipe type interface, you could potentially be validating transactions on a peer-to-peer -peer basis. What's the next Trojan horse? Obviously, the Apple Watch, which pulls the Apple Pay capability all the way back to iPhone 5. And then the last one, but not the least, is the partnership with IBM. So, you know, IBM, think about IBM developing apps and 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 even, you know, packaging uh, hardware uh, add-ons that that allow that basically turn iPads into into all your cash registers, right? And so, you know, and then the last pe the last not last and also but not least is you've got iBeacon, right? Which 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 allows sort of smart store interfaces, and that's starting to roll out in retail locations. So, you know, you walk into a store, um, the iBeacon knows where you are. You're able to serve up, you know, coupons and then cash those coupons in as you go to check out. You know, the cashier has an iPad. You have your iPhone. You know, you do. You're able to. You're able. Didn't to they put uh, Dr. Dre in charge of that effort? Now that they bought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go um, ahead. Go ahead. No, but but yeah. I mean, I'm just saying. My point is, I think that it's not. You know, it's not just a Trojan horse. It's a. It's there's a like a 
you know, there's a there's a, a, a fleet of Trojan horses that they've deployed. How many metaphors did you just mix there? So. I don't know, too many. <laughs> but I mean, I'm just trying to you know paint a picture for you. I mean, it's this is not, um, you know, this is not just Achilles. You know, the uh, big the, again, the big it. problem for them is moving the needle. If you look at 180 yeah. billion dollars as a fraction of a 700 billion dollar market cap, that's yeah. more of a dilemma. At sure. this point, so they're law obviously of big numbers. law of big numbers. How do you repatriate this money back to the United States without incurring huge taxes? You could take out yeah. a big debt, uh, a, a big debt package from Wall Street. Uh, stock buybacks, you know, it, it doesn't yeah. really get the fanboys and the techies excited out there. They will kind of want to, you know, what would you get, for example, out of this is this is idle baseless speculation but if uh, if Elon Musk and Tim Cook were just to hold a joint press conference saying we admire each other <laughs> right that would that would cause a bump yeah. in the shares people are looking for that kind of razzle dazzle and i haven't seen john this kind of interest in a company uh you know since since the the the, the turn of the decade really in 2000 where people were really invested in in kind of Nasdaq 5000 um so the company is now at seven hundred billion dollars. The question is, can they move the needle to to break into the kind of the the, the trillion dollar sound barrier? What do you think pushes them there, if at all? I, I think they do have to go with that wow factor, and I don't know how they get there. Um, you know, Craig laid out a, a, an amazing chart of all the different. Could areas. they buy Time Warner? <laughs> look, please, uh, but, please. You know, look, you, you know, you, you stop. You, you mentioned the Dr. Dre's and you mentioned the Elon Musk's. People, people do want that, and yeah. I think that um, there needs to be some kind of wow, some kind of even even a risk on a product that might not go anywhere because mm-hmm. playing it too safe really takes away from the narrative of the most innovative company and makes it more about a company that makes widgets really well and sells them to everybody. And those stories are the ones where. There, you, you're gonna, you're gonna have to be worried about that next great innovator out there. What yeah. do you, what do you think? Well, I mean, you know, the thing I worry about with them is, is I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, they, they've put, they put a big bet down on the Apple Watch, and I, and I think it's cool, and you know, and I'm a fanboy, so I'm gonna go buy one, and you know, all that. However. Um, I'm not sure that's the form factor that's ultimately the next wow form factor. I mean, I was actually really impressed with the HoloLens product concept from Microsoft. I, I've been intrigued by Google Glass. I, I think it was poor execution, and and you know, I'm not sure that thing is really. Um, uh, you know, there yet. But interestingly enough, that's been put under the direction of a former Apple employee, Tony Fidel, over in the at the at at Google. But that's a that's a whole other episode. Um, the uh, you know, I, I I'm not sure that they've quite got it right in the wearable space. Uh, I do think that some some form of wearable or wearables is going to be the next big form factor. And, you know, we'll have to see. They're going to sell a lot of Apple Watches because I think just a sheer attachment rate, it's going to be a pretty successful thing. But I'm not sure that's going to be the thing that's, you know, that is the next. Well, bring it uh, back to the computers themselves. I mean, people forget that this company still makes uh, gorgeous iMacs and MacBooks. And this is supposed, the ecosystem is supposed to have a halo effect back to the high margin you know, super decked out retina, laptop. Yeah. Um, uh, do we see evidence, either of you, that this is really recoursing back to their original, you know, their bread and butter? 
Oh yeah, I I I think so. I mean, you're sitting here with your you know lovely uh, MacBook Pro opened up in front of us, and, and I mean, if you walk into I've a college campus, bag. you know, a, a freshman comes into college and doesn't say, "I want a you know Dell Latitude." You know, no. they, they aspire. You you walk into a Starbucks huh. or a you know student union or something. Well, you, uh, these you, these things seem to be the standard right yeah, now. Th- in the th- ecosystem. This is good. I mean, the last two quarters in a row, the Mac segment has had steady what nine ten percent growth, right? Which I mean, in a PC world. I mean, that's you're not seeing that kind of growth in unit sales in any other um, any other PC manufacturer. Um, certainly, you know, certainly not at the scale that these guys that, that Apple is. And so, um, you know, I think a lot of that is uh, definitely ecosystem driven. I mean, it certainly was with our family. I mean, I was even though I really enjoyed iPhones and iPads, it was wasn't until the last couple of years that we've gone onto the Mac platform for our home computer. Now, if you gentlemen remember when uh, Apple was close to being on on bankruptcy's doorstep in 1997, there was this whole idea that, you know, there there were these cheap players allowed in to come in and you know, throw in throw in the towel, right? Your operating system is not going to beat Windows. Make mm-hmm. cheap boxes out there. You don't have to control the experience in its entirety. If we go back to the irony of Microsoft making that, you know, fatally Greek investment and yeah. infusion in Apple, do you see Microsoft throwing in the towel now and saying, why just not make, you know, create these things that run on the Apple operating system that we need to strike in our this with these guys? Well- well, that's already Robin. That that ship's already sailed, man. I mean, you know, when that ship started sailing, when Mac went over to the Intel platform, right? And so you can easily toggle between Windows and and, and OS 10, right? And that's been the case for years. And so what that what that's done is that's opened up all the applications that were, you know, in the old world, in the old Wintel world, were were you know, window essentially Windows only. But apps. you can't FaceTime between an iPad and a Surface tablet, for example. No, you mm-hmm. can't. But right, there are things that yeah. keep you out. The more yeah. my my point is. You know, we have a few minutes left. The more this ecosystem, the fanboy ecosystem builds, the, the harder it is, one, to drop out of it willy-nilly if a great product yeah. comes out because, you know, your mom's on it, your wife's on it, yeah. you you text for free, you get priority texting, you yeah. get FaceTime, your stuff's on iTunes. Um, yeah. That, that um, you know, it's just harder and harder for an outsider to come in and kind of pierce those network effects. That's right. I, I think that's exactly right. And, I mean, you see, you've already seen Microsoft is really embracing the Apple ecosystem. I mean, you know, the the um, the uh, Microsoft uh, Office 365 I mean, it's it's been available for most of this year on on iPads, and there's evidence. Free there's evidence iPhone. that Microsoft's taking a hit on software upgrades and deferred revenue just to get market share. Yeah, back. that's right. Just to get become more relevant. On John platform. John Ehrlichman, close us out. Uh, what are what are the biggest takeaways for you? What are the biggest uh, things that you have your eye on um, out there? I know you're headed out to In and Out Burger for your your breakfast. <laughs> Talk to me. Look, it's. Uh, you know what Apple's been able to do is very impressive. I think we should end on this idea of um, still what is a closed world in a very connected globe. Um, and you think about the power of social networks like Facebook. Well, don't and go all one... Tom Friedman on it. <laughs> all I wanted to say is that you know there are people who don't like the idea of being tied to one device or one program, and so it's going to be. Very uh, important for Apple, I think, to sort of find that nice balance. If they are the consumer-friendly company, are they the consumer-friendly company that allows you to do anything and everything you want with these devices? And so that's where that language, the feeling around brands can really dramatically change how people use different devices, technology. 
And uh, obviously with Dr. Dre uh, in, in a senior uh, management capacity there, now I'm hearing that he might be up for next commerce secretary or something like that. We have to watch <laughs> the beats. First billionaire, yo. Yeah, first, that's right. First hip-hop billionaire beats by Dr. Dre. We didn't even mention that, and we almost short-shrifted the Apple Watch, but it shows you what the opportunity and peril is for a company of this size. Again, a $700 billion market cap, $18 billion quarterly profit, $179 billion of cash, and all manner of GDP comparisons on the tweeters, if you want to check it out. Well, we are also on the tweeters at Full D Radio and on SoundCloud and Facebook Full D Radio. Uh, Greg, we've agreed to take this act to, to Prodigy and CompuServe, I understand. That's right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Comcast. Excited the whole home. Thing. Excited well. home. Excited I lost gonna, a ton of money yeah, on yeah. that. But yes, thank you so much, Greg and John, for thank joining you. us today to geek Thanks, out Rob. on Apple. Full disclosures, Robin Farzad here. We will be back with you next week.